Welcome to the Burden and Blessing Podcast, a study and discussion forum on the truth of God's Word. Our Bible study series examines a specific part of God's Word of Truth. We pray that through this study your faith will be built up and you will grow in your knowledge and understanding of God's Word through what you hear. Welcome back to Burden and Blessing. My name is Nathaniel Mayhew and joining me today is Pastor Neil Radical for our ongoing and well, at least for us, enjoyable study of the Psalms. Neil, we are now entering into the Lenten season, and how appropriate is it that we get a take up in chronological order, Psalm 22, which is probably one of the most familiar Lenten Psalms in the 150 that we have. Beautiful, huh? It's pretty amazing, especially because we haven't planned that out at all. We did you not know, plan that out. Nope. That was just exciting. the chronology. Of course, we don't know when this is going to air, but that's okay. We're, we're studying it during Ash Wednesday week, so it's pretty cool. Yeah. Psalm 22 is a longer Psalm too, so we're going to take this in sections. But boy, I tell you what, if we were to just take a couple of verses out of Psalm 22 and just, just read just the verse from Psalm 22, you would never know that it was in the Old Testament. You would think that that was Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, as he describes the crucifixion of Jesus. And there's a reason for that. Uh, These verses are quoted in the New Testament, which we're going to take a look at. Uh, Why don't we get started? We know that this is Psalm of David. We have a little bit of an introduction to the Psalm, but you want to take us through the first 10 verses and get us going on here? You bet. Psalm 22, verses 1 through 10. To the chief musician, set to the deer of the dawn. A Psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? From the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you, and were delivered. They trusted in you. And we're not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. So already in that opening section, the first 10 verses, it's really hard not to hear those verses and see the cross, isn't it? Absolutely. You have the first verse, my God, my God, why why have you forsaken me? It's, It's one of the sayings that Jesus gives, one of the few sayings that Jesus, we hear that he said from the cross, direct quote. And, and then you have a couple of other pictures that are found in there, too, where, where you have this idea of uh, ridicule. They see me. Verse 7, I think, is, is a, well, even verse 6. I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. That's a direct quote. Yeah, direct quote, Matthew 27, 43. I mean, that's verbatim there. And who is it describing there? When we jump to the New Testament, 
who is David describing? Oh, the, the crowd, the Pharisees are all accusing him. You know, it's amazing. We got over a thousand years later, you, know, you mm-hmm. have this all taking place exactly the way it was prophesied. Well, and that's, this, that's crazy. I mean, you just said a thousand years. That's hard to fathom that, isn't it? 1,000 yeah. years earlier, David prophesied in detail the events of the crucifixion. Now, there are some people who would say these messianic prophecies, and, and there are a couple of them that we will study as we go through the Psalms, that, for example, verse 1, okay, Jesus would have known Psalm 22. It would have been really easy for him to just say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, and fulfill Psalm 22, right? sure sure in a sense right right? somebody who could make that argument but i imagine going through that and thinking you imagine this the suffering that he was enduring it's like yeah you're if you're trying to remember all the different things you're supposed to be saying right now good luck (laughs) and i want to come back to verse one but what's amazing to me is that here are people standing around the foot of the cross that aren't being persuaded by Jesus to fulfill scripture. They are fulfilling scripture ignorantly. Yeah, I like that side of it too. Yeah. You're right. Well, let's go back to verse one then. So this is a very, very powerful verse, but let's, let's dig into that opening verse for just a little bit. When Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What does that mean? What is he saying there? Well, I believe that Jesus is, literally suffering hell on the cross for us. You know, sometimes we talk about after Jesus was buried, he descended into hell. And I think a lot of people misunderstand that to think that, well, he is suffering hell when he descended into hell when he was dead. And I think that's so far from the truth because we know from Peter in the uh, New Testament epistles that when Jesus descended into hell, it was to proclaim his victory over Satan. So he already had won the victory. So when Jesus was saying this on the cross, he was literally suffering, not just the physical torment, but the weight of the world's sin, God's full cup. I think it's an important word to use. The full cup of wrath was totally poured out on Jesus as he was carrying every single sin of every single person on the cross. He literally suffered hell, which I believe the worst part of hell, as we see described in the Bible, is God forsakenness the Lord turning your back, his back on you. Yeah, and that's what that he did. To, God isn't there. You know, yeah. We look at the world today. We say, well, you know, the world is going to hell in a handbasket is a phrase that's often used. Boy, we have no idea, do we? Because God is still present here. God is still actively working in order to maintain a semblance of law and order. That's not the case in hell. The forsakenness of God, the abandonment of God, God not there. We can't even imagine right. what that would be like. Now, there is, there is a glimmer of hope in those verses as well. The Messiah there speaking through David says, you are holy, you are enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. There's hope, isn't there? And it's amazing to me that the Messiah and David, from, a, from another perspective, that they realized that the Lord through their youth was preparing them for this day and that he would not forsake them. Now we talked about being forsaken by God. Why have you forsaken me? Yes, that's true. But the Messiah would come out on the other end. 
he would be victorious. He would conquer. He would, uh, he would defeat the devil. But he, he says there in verses nine and nine and ten, "You are he who took me out of the womb." Talk about preparation. You made me trust while on my mother's breast, all the way back from when I was a child. You were preparing me for this very thing. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Pretty powerful words there too. Yeah, just a quick comment. I know we want to move on to the next section, but um, Psalm 139 is definitely a nice parallel with the two verses you just read from verses 9 and 10. But I want to go back for just a second on verse 4. And you mentioned our Father's trust in you because, you know, in Christ- Christology is a study of Christ. And then what a great section to talk about that because you hear, you see really this dual nature of Jesus, that he is true man. When he can say, our Father's trust in you, that'd be according to his human nature as a son of mary and our father's trusting in you in that sense of he is the son of god where he's pointing to the fact that the lord is the eternal god that was being continued in and that yes that he knew that they were delivered and like you were mentioning before that preparation that he was giving there as well so uh, i think you mentioned before this is a lot like psalm 116 david's greater son jesus here they can talk about his earthly ancestors and his eternal father at the same time. Yeah, that's a pretty powerful thing. There's a lot of connections between the various Psalms as well. Yeah. Well, let's dig into section two. We're going to take verses 11 through verse 21. Again, I think as we read through these verses, we're not going to be able to help but see the cross and the crucifixion. Although David does use some picture language here. There's He's not actually saying men. He uses animal substitutes in order to show the devastation, the ugliness of what he is going through in these verses. You want to pick those up, verses 11 to 21? No, you, you read, yep. you read okay. this time. All right. yep. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. Can I play the skeptic for a a second? How could Jesus be going through this and say the Lord has answered him? Because it says earlier that you have brought me to the dust of death. So it sounds like a prayer. Be not far from me. If trouble's near, you've answered me. He's Mm -hmm. still on the cross. Mm -hmm. He's still dying. Mm -hmm. So how would you respond to that? It looks ahead. It looks ahead to the result of Christ's crucifixion. This was God's plan. He has God's, God's plan, not just for Jesus, but for the world. 
So yes, and Jesus wrestled with that. Think about the, the Maundy Thursday prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there's any other way, yes, but if not, your will be done. Jesus knew what he had to do in order to accomplish salvation for mankind, and he was willing to do it. He knew that by going through and being forsaken by God, he would accomplish the plan of God for humanity. And I, I think like that. that's, that's yeah. what he's describing. Well, you mentioned prayer, and Jesus was wrestling through it right now. And so that looking at, I mean, isn't that the application for each one of us? We're going to be wrestling through very difficult times in our lives. Prayer looks ahead. Like you said, prayer looks ahead to the end goal. You have answered me. We can know that confidently. Yes, the Lord will answer. He's already answered. And when we say a prayer, he's already answered. We wait for it to be revealed. We've talked about the Old Testament prophets a lot of times when they were waiting on the ramparts, right? Who's our favorite guy who did that? Is that Habakkuk? Habakkuk, yeah. Yeah, waiting on the ramparts. He knew the Lord answered his prayer. He was yep. watching for it. He was, and how? He was confident. How is he going to do that? Right. So I, that was a very good answer for that. So in these verses, again, we see, I mean, it's amazing, Neil. You mentioned it, 1,000 years. They didn't, they didn't even have crucifixion at the time of David. But look at these descriptions. They pierced my hands and my feet. He says, I am poured out like water. My bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. If you think about the, the crucifixion, and the impact that it has on the heart, the heart just finally giving up and, and exploding. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. Think about Jesus saying, I thirst. All of those little things right there, all pointing ahead. No, nothing here says crucify, but it's hard not to look at those verses and see crucifixion, isn't it? Well, it takes you right into verse 18 too. That you know, they're staring at him and they divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. I mean, that's it Direct. quotes it quotes that in the New Testament. <laughs> right. Yep, that's exactly what they did to him yep. while he was being crucified. He watched them do that in front of him. Yeah. And so, like you just said, you bringing out that whole idea of what is he going through? How we talked about the I like that it starts that first section starts with the forsakenness. Because I always believe that is the pinnacle of suffering, the forsakenness by God. Now it moves into more of the physical things that Jesus went through. I, I know we talked about some of the crucifixion movies we've seen over the past. I know that Mel Gibson's Passion is one of the most popular one or most viewed or whatever it is. But you know, ultimately, whenever I watch those types of things and you see the agony, which had to have been much, how do you even show that? You know, it's much worse than that what the person is probably going through. But then ultimately how do you depict the God forsakenness? So this section is awful. It's horrible. It's torture. But do we forget about what he was already enduring that God forsakenness as well? And you combine those things and no, no man could endure all that on his own. You know, the, the weight of the world's sins as well. Yeah. I, I like that analysis that those first few verses are describing the the, the relationship maybe with God and then verses 11 to 21, the impact of human beings, the physical suffering that he was going through. And it's interesting because in verse 11, it starts off, be not far from me for trouble is near for there is none to help. Not only do we have the forsaken by God, but he was even abandoned by his own disciples. 
there were, you know, the women that were gathered there and were told that John was there at the foot of the cross, but not to help him, not to get him down. They couldn't do anything. They couldn't yeah. do anything. So I, I like that analysis of, of seeing the relationship between the divine suffering in those opening verses and then the physical suffering in verses 11 to 21. Can I, can I talk a little bit just for a moment about some of these descriptions? You, before you read it, you talked about this, this wonderful picturesque language which helps us you've already mentioned the you know, strength being dried up you know that potsherd that you know the clay pots so fragile easily broken you know even though none of his bones were broken his body was broken in that sense you know that you talked about the dryness of you know him being thirsty but i really wanted to focus in for a second on that verse 14 my heart is like wax it is melted within me you talked about that idea of that the heart failing or you know we've, we've studied this before together we talk about the medical examiners talk about a heart exploding when it's under that much stress so that's that's ultimately a part of it too but we know when someone's close to dying they give they can give up in the sense of they let go and then we see that later on with jesus uh, he gave up the spirit you know you let go and uh allowed himself to die in that sense. But that idea that heart is like wax melting within me, there was a really interesting image that was given by one of the descriptions in order to be impressioned. So what I really like about that is you, you think about Jesus' heart failing and the impression that the Lord gave when Jesus' heart failed. When he died, God imprinted on him like a seal, like a king sealing a document and a decree it is done. And that's what we'll see at the last section here. But I love that idea of that heart is like wax. It's melting. It's, it's failing. And literally it is to the point of death where it has been impressed with this decree of what God has done through this sacrifice. Yeah, there's, there's the physical, but then there's this uh, almost a symbolic thing that we can take away from that also with this idea of impression. Pretty amazing thing. Let's go on to the last section, then verses 22 through 31. You want to read those verses? Sure. Definitely a, a change here from the last section. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. My praise shall be of you in the great assembly. I will pay my vows before those who fear him. The poor shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him will praise the Lord. Let your heart live forever. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth shall eat and worship. All those who go down to the dust shall bow before him, even he who cannot keep himself alive. A posterity shall serve him. It will be recounted of the Lord to the next generation. They will come and declare his righteousness to people who will be born that he has done this. That last phrase is powerful. I think it goes back to that question that you asked earlier. You know, how can we reconcile the, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me with the fact that God will deliver me? There is still hope in the end. God has done this. This is God's doing. Think about the Psalm, talk about Psalm comparison, Psalm 118. Uh, God is accomplishing this. It is 
righteous. It is right in his eyes. This is what had to be done in order to secure salvation for mankind. And only God was going to be able to bring this about. So that's the conclusion. But verses 22 through 28, 29 really highlight the result of Christ's work. Well, and you just hinted at it in verse 31. You know, Jeremiah talked about, and he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. And so they will come declare his righteousness to a people be born. Well, again, it's not righteousness from ourselves. It's the Lord's righteousness that he gifted to us in that great exchange, our debt of sin from Jesus to Jesus on the cross and him gifting us his holiness and righteousness in God's eyes by washing us clean. So that's the declaration I think you're yeah. leading into, right? Right, right. And, and, you know, it starts off in verse 22. It's personal. I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. But it doesn't stop there. Knowing what I know about what Christ has done, my invitation is to other people to join me in declaring those praises and in singing his praises. So then in verses 22 through 26, you have, hey, you who fear the Lord, join me, praise him with me. All of you descendants of Jacob, those of you who fear him, glorify him. What a beautiful thing. We don't want to be alone in this joy, in this rejoicing, in this celebration, in this salvation. The Lord sends us out as his witnesses, inviting others to come to know the salvation that he has won. And that starts with our fellow believers, the fellowship that we share. He indicates that in, in the midst of the assembly, we go to church. I'm doing this first and foremost, but boy, I'm sure glad when I get to gather together with my fellow believers to sing the praises of God and all that he has done and accomplished. But it isn't supposed to stop there either, is it? Where is it supposed to go? Well, it keeps going to the ends of the earth. And that's what it refers to here. You know, it's fascinating to me when you just talk about this. We know David wrote this. So David is certainly one who's declaring this to his brethren. But we also know the Lord did that too. You know, when he was in the temple, he would talk about the fulfillment. You know, today is scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And we also know that after he risen from the dead, he certainly declared the name of the Lord in the midst of the assembly, where it be behind the locked doors of the disciples, where it be the larger groups. You know, the Lord in Revelation, he talks about declaring the name of the Lord, you know, that every knee will bow before him on the last day. So it's amazing here in this first part, you see that David, first part of this third section, you see David saying, this is what I'm going to do because I know what you've done for me. I'm going to declare your name. I'm going to praise you and glorify you. And I'm going to continue to be faithful to you as I paid these vows of promises. I want to be faithful to the Lord. We see Jesus doing that same thing. He makes those promises to us, like in the Great Commission. I'm going to be with you always, even to the end of the age. He's going to fulfill that vow and promise. And ultimately, your point, just like he said before he ascended to heaven, Jesus said, you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to declare my name in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the world. And so it's just it's such a deep psalm that shows both Christ speaking and then David using the word and declaring that is just so powerful. Well, and I think this is, this is a reminder that God's plan of salvation isn't limited. You know, sometimes there is that idea that, well, God only died for some people, you know, limited atonement, which is so prevalent in, in many Christian churches. But the Lord says, no, my intent is for everybody in the world to know what Jesus has done and to be brought through the power of the Holy Spirit to faith in him as their savior, as their Lord, as their not only the one who died for them, but also the one who rose again for them, that he might give to them eternal life. 
So as Christians, already here in the Old Testament, 1,000 years, you said, before the time of Jesus, evangelism, it didn't wait until after Jesus rose from the dead. Evangelism has always been the message of the Christian church to proclaim the truth of who Jesus is, what Jesus came to accomplish, to be forsaken by God, because that message and that work is for every sinner and we receive it by faith. I think it's amazing you made this point that you look at the other Psalms we've done and David is confessing sin, he's confessing guilt, he's going through you know, what's happening, and the result of his sin, consequences, talking about other people's sin. And he made the point, where's the mention of sin here? You know, if this is the Messiah talking, there's not one mention of him confessing his own sin. And it wasn't that an amazing reminder for us. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, 21, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, to be sin for us all. And that's really evidenced by this Psalm, in my opinion, too, because it's like you see that Jesus had no reason to be forsaken by God on his own. The thief on the cross said he was innocent. And not that we would go by his declaration, Pilate as well. And we know God himself, the father himself said, this is my beloved son with him. I'm well pleased. And so this whole idea here that we see sin not mentioned is that it is the suffering servant that was innocent that took on our sin. But you can see that joy in this section as well, that yeah, Christ was our substitute for us because he was perfect and we were not. So much to be thankful for. Yeah, that's awesome. Who Jesus was and then what he endured on our behalf, all to it, set us free, that we it, might not be forsaken by God. It is finished. It is finished. He has done this. A beautiful Lenten theme as we, again, embark on again a, a season of of repentance and meditation on the cross of jesus and all that he has endured for our sins what a joy to begin with a psalm like this that is so rich in theology rich in pointing us to the savior rich in announcing the forgiveness of our sins and the joy that we certainly have as a result of christ's work for us let's uh, close with a hymn from one of the lenten uh, lenten hymns a verse from that hymn Thou, ah, uh, thou hast taken on thee bonds and stripes, a cruel rod. Pain and scorn were heaped upon thee, O thou sinless son of God. Thus didst thou, my soul, deliver from the bonds of sin forever. Thousand, thousand thanks shall be, dearest Jesus, unto thee. Neil, thanks again for taking the time to go through the psalm. Always enjoy it. Pray that. It has been not only rewarding for you and for me, but for all those who are listening as well. And the Lord bless all of your Lenten meditations this year once again as we look to Christ who is crucified for us. Until next time, Lord keep you. We hope that you will join us again next week for another episode of Burden and Blessing Podcast as we continue to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Until next time, Take confidence in your Savior's promise that he will always be with you, even to the end of the world.